The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. This is episode number 229. And just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. It helps other people find this podcast. And our whole purpose is to give hope and help during this whole opioid and drug addiction pandemic. One thing we know for sure is that when the coronavirus goes away, this drug epidemic is still going to be there. And so we're going to keep shedding light on it. And we're going to keep talking to people who have something that they can offer in terms of help and hope. Today, we have an interview with an author named Nicholas Bush. Nicholas is a former addict, but he has a lot to say, not only about his story, but about the pandemic in general, and we're going to talk to him today. So without further ado, let's talk to Nick Bush, or I guess I should say Nicholas Bush. Nick Bush, would you rather I call you Nicholas? I'm easy. Whatever is easy for you. Okay. But I always like to know what people prefer. If you prefer Nicholas, I'll call you Nicholas. I struggle to have a preference, honestly. Nicholas sounds very formal, but as you can see, I'm not the most formal person. Uh, So, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Then I'm going to call you Nick. That's fine. So, thank you for being on the podcast today, Nick. Thank you for, you know, being willing to share your story. Um, You know, not everybody is willing to share a story like yours. And what we know from having done this for four years now is that um, these stories such as yours resonate with people so that um, there'll be someone there who'll be listening and they'll go, oh yeah, I experienced that. And the idea is that we hope that they will then reach out and get help. So I appreciate you being willing to lay it all out for us. So start. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So start from the beginning and tell us, you know, like what your childhood was like, where you grew up and how you got started on drugs. Sure. So um, my childhood was, let's see, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, How I got started on drugs was um pretty typical uh as a as a young teenager just that age where people start to experiment maybe in like early high school late middle school and um just with drinking and partying you know i had older siblings um that very much like to go out and party and uh do stuff like that and so just trying to fit in and um you know, just like partying. Um, it was not out of the ordinary, but when I I realized um, at about 14, you know, when I f- first tried like marijuana, just the first time I, I knew that this was going to be a problem for me. Um, just, just by the way that like, that's all I wanted to do. And it wasn't just a casual thing to just sort of experiment with or, do out at parties it was what i wanted to do all the time i wanted to feel high all the time and i guess i just had um i don't know if you'd say baggage or just issues subconsciously that i didn't realize that i had um from uh an abusive home um just like um 
I would say that I had, you know, a lot of child abuse going on, but it was in such a way that like, I didn't really, um, talk about it or anything like that. I, I thought it was normal. And so when I found relief in the form of marijuana to uh, a pain that was eating me up inside, which I didn't realize was even there, it kind of got me off and running immediately. And um, it just opened the doorway to really all drugs in general, you know, pills and um, about 10 years. I spent about 10 years um, just chasing down that rabbit hole of getting high um, from 14 to about 24 and um, just ended up losing friends, siblings, myself. I should be dead or in prison. And my whole memoir is written out um, called One by One. Uh, by me and Nicholas Bush. And uh, it really just takes you down just a wild ride of addiction, falling all the way down to the rock bottom of it, and then all the way back out again. Um, like, so now I'm uh, not a drug addict anymore, obviously, but um, now I work in uh, nonprofits for Christian missions. And so it's just a radical story of transformation of somebody who made it against all odds and how that took place. Okay, fair enough. But I need you to get a little bit more specific with me. Otherwise, we'll be all done with the interview and we need a little bit more time here. So you you lost. um, Did you lose more than one sibling? You lost at least one sibling to drugs. What happened there? Right. So. Addiction can be like really hidden. Uh, an addict doesn't really want people to know what they're up to. And so my, my sister, um, I thought I was the only one with this problem, but I guess, you know, she was hiding addiction to uh, opiates. Um, she was prescribed opiates for a, um, a condition called shingles, which is rare in young people, but she had it. And she was actually a model in Europe at the time. Uh, and she, uh, got into heroin over there um, when she couldn't access her prescription for whatever reason. And so, you know, there was very little like signs of, of, you know, like hardcore drug abuse with her. And um, so, I mean, I just get a call one day from my mom saying, you know, we lost your sister last night. We don't know what happened. And, um, and so it was just a real shock just to get the call out of nowhere. Yeah. And, well, how uh, old was she and how old were you at the time? She was 24. I was 21. Okay. Yeah. And that just really rocked me. And that's a huge part of, of my story of being able to come out of addiction. Honestly, um, losing my sister. I also lost a brother years later. That's also a part of my story, but, um, to to heroin to a heroin overdose to opiates as well but um you know with my sister it really actually catapulted me down the same path it might sound crazy i really wasn't caught up into opiates or anything or opioids or heroin but when i lost her it just threw me for such a loop uh and hurt me so badly that i actually reached out for the very thing that killed her which was just to kill the pain that i was in Right. And and so um, that that kind of was a catalyst for me going headlong into hard drug addiction and almost going, you know, the same route of losing my own life and uh, or going to prison. And um, 
but uh you know the story doesn't end there she uh actually when i was probably at my lowest point she came to me in a vision and told me to love christ and i had never had any kind of anything like that happen to me or heard of anything like that i didn't really know what it meant it was just a very real experience i didn't really know what to do with it but uh, i knew it i knew it had happened i knew it was real and i knew that i owed it to myself to at least explore this try this out whatever it whatever that may be um i need to try this before it's too late you know this this could this could work if i just give it a shot and so that's that's kind of what i did lose so losing my sister is a huge benchmark in in my in my um testimony of becoming an addict and then coming coming out into the walk of uh, recovery of sobriety so yeah so i that's it's an amazing story so you basically you did marijuana and then when she died you moved to her- did you move like immediately to heroin well it was oxycotton first okay. which is very very similar right it's um you know it's a legal it's a legal opioid, um, heroin's an opiate. So Oxycontin, they're very, they're, they're very similar in like the effect that it has on you. Um, so I went into Oxycontin just, um, doing the pills and shooting it up. And then when I couldn't find the pills, heroin was basically the same thing, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, which is scary. It's like, it's like you can get heroin from a doctor really, which is that blew my mind. I didn't realize that that was a thing. I was just more involved in like heroin or sorry with, with marijuana and partying and just all those, that kind of scene and um, narcotics, like really just the whole door blew open after she died. And I tried strong Oxycontin. I was like blown away by just the sheer power of it. And um, just the fact that like, you know, you could get this from a doctor and have it be legal just blew my mind. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that was kind of the gateway was, okay. was Oxycontin and it led, it led to heroin, I would say within three to six months. Okay. So pretty quick. Okay. So you were on heroin, what, for about three years? Is that about how Yeah. Long? Two to three years. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yep, and that's then, correct. and then she, your sister came to visit you and kind of give you a reality shift, if you will. Is that a That's proper right. way to yeah. say it? Okay. And so yeah. what did you, what did you do then? Did you just stop? Did you go to treatment? How did, what happened then? Well, the thing is, is it actually kind of, um, it, it threw me for such a loop. Like I was, I was a mixed, a mixed bag. I was angry like if God's surreal, where has he been this whole time? I've had such a rough childhood, which I talk about in my book that kind of gave me these issues that I didn't realize were there. And um, just just trying to figure life out basically on my own, um, not having much guidance or direction from anybody. And uh, to now being off, being given like this offer of like, you know, love Christ. I, I just had this feeling like everything would work out if I just tried that. And uh, it, it's just, it just kind of made me angry. Like why, you know, drop everything and just pursue this out of nowhere, you know, like it just, it was, it just seemed kind of unfair, but on the other hand, I knew it would probably work because it was like, why else would this happen? Hmm. <laughs> and so um, how do I say this long story short, 
I knew that I couldn't give up drugs if I tried. Um, I, I didn't want to live the way I was. I was basically homeless and I was just tied between a rock and a hard place trying to figure out, do I be a full-time criminal? Do I try to go straight, go clean? And it's like, I don't want to live a lifestyle of fear um, and just uncertainty. I want to have stability. I want to be able to have a normal life, a wife and kids and stuff. But honestly, I was so addicted, I couldn't stop no matter how hard I tried. Uh, I had been to rehab. I had I had gone several times, you know, both voluntarily and involuntarily. And no matter what I like, how much I invested or or how much time or how much effort it was like, there was no beating addiction. I could not stop. And uh, it was no. it's hard to describe to somebody who's not been through it, but it's like you see a train coming to hit you and you can't get out of the way when, when your, your brain just becomes like rewired to the point where, you know, it's, you can't, you really can't control it. You make impulse decisions. You find yourself doing things you don't want to do, but you can't stop yourself from doing them. Mm. It's actually very scary. Um, and so, you know, you find yourself thinking thoughts like, what's the point of living? I can't, I'm not in control of my life. I don't want to live like this. And so I can understand why a lot of people would um, just look for a way out, you know, but um, I, my story, you know, I definitely had thought about suicide and stuff, but uh, my story is one that can bring a lot of hope to people because I've been I've been down that road and uh, I've been in a hopeless situation for years where I could not stop. I didn't think I would make it, but I refused to give up. And so, yeah, no, what I did was to just do what I knew like I could. I just started to take one step after the other in the right direction and just focus on one thing at a time. And um, and really, you know, AA, it uh, I have a lot of respect for them. They, they came, um, you know, they've, they've come in and out of my life like several times and they've always been helpful and AA is cool because they have a, a, one of their steps is to really reach out to a higher power. Right. And that's kind of foundational for the whole AA program. And, um, this whole, you know, thing with Christianity, my sister coming to me, telling me to love Christ and a vision after she died. I, that kind of struck me as like, hey, AA talks about a higher power. Like, why couldn't I, you know, why, this this would fit, actually. And, right. um, you know, AA did work for a long time for me and going to meetings and stuff. But st- life happens. You know, I got thrown. I talk about it in my book, like life will throw a curveball, a right hook, uh, a, sh- a gunshot your way all in the same day. Sometimes life is crazy. You know, you can't predict it. And I think I had like a girlfriend cheat on me. I lost my job. I got evicted from my apartment. My friends, you know, stole from me or all in the same day. And it was like, this is just crazy. Wow. And it's, it's just, you know, I need, I needed help really. And I, I understood that in the natural, I, I had tried everything under the sun rehab. I had been locked up, um, I tried having a sponsor. I, I did, I did all, all sorts of stuff. And um, really I needed like supernatural help. And that's honestly, that's what did it for me was just relying on my higher power, which 
you know, like I just kind of mentioned is Jesus. And that's kind of what my life has turned into after taking one step in that direction, uh, one after the other. And yeah, I've made mistakes, but um, I've got, you know, um, someone looking out for me. I've got a higher power that um, really cares for me, Jesus Christ. And that's just, that's just what worked for me. You know, I don't expect everybody to drop everything and become a Christian and stuff, but that's a huge part of my story. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-314. 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Well, but you make a really, really good point. And, and I think we've made this on the podcast before, but I'm going to say it now. You have to find something bigger than yourself to believe in, I think. Because I just think that that's a key part of getting clean and sober. Because, I don't know, that's just my, my viewpoint on it. And, and for you, it was Jesus Christ. And obviously that, that made the difference you'd been to rehab before but now i'm assuming when you started looking at the 12 steps it was kind of a different thing yeah so the um one of the great things about rehab and and the 12 steps is it really a lot it allows you to stay sober through a community of sober people and uh it really takes the focus off of yourself. It kind of takes the load off of just yourself. You've got people supporting you that care about you. And um, so that was great in AA and rehab. And um, I was a part of that community for a while. I mean, well over a year. Um, And uh, I think community, like you said, like taking the focus off yourself with um, finding a higher power, I think also something else is having a community of uh, people to support you who are like-minded too. So you're not in it alone. You know, you don't have to have all the answers. And um, I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those are two really key points and not only being sober, but having like a happy life, you know? So (laughs) I agree. And you, you have a completely different life now. I read an article you have, you're married. Yes. Yeah. I got three little kids. I'm married. I, it's crazy. Like I have a normal life. I'm just a normal dude. You know what I mean? Like I should be dead or in prison or hopelessly addicted to drugs or at the very best, I should be like a dry drunk. Somebody who's, yeah, maybe sober, but they don't like it. They wish they could go out and just do crazy stuff and party and get high and all this. 
it's not a burden that I have to deal with anymore. I think someone asked me, how long has it been since you did heroin? And I honestly, I don't count the days. I don't count the months, the day. I don't know. It's been like mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine years, something like that. And it's just something that I don't really have to think about anymore. If, if I don't want to, it's a part of my story, but I'm just so free, you know? So. Yep. Well, I think good. that's, I think that's huge. And you, you, I also read in the article, you you give back to others which I think is also a key part of recovery from a lot of the people that we've talked to. You give back, you volunteer, you help others. You were talking about how that's been a little bit hard in the pandemic, but talk a little yeah. bit about that, what, what you've been doing to help other yeah. people. Absolutely. It has been a challenge. Uh, personal interactions been limited. I was doing volunteering at a halfway house for guys getting out of prison some of them were actually wrongfully convicted. Can you imagine yep. spending 25 years behind bars for a crime that you ended up being proved innocent of? Um, so just really connecting with some of those people had been very humbling, a very good experience. It brought me healing. It, it made me realize like, hey, yeah, my life was tough, but nothing compared to some of these guys. And um I think I was in an interview with um, somebody on, on the radio and they, they said, you know, why don't you go after the, some of the money that's being offered to, uh, to people who are, you know, like for, for compensation through, through the pandemic, some of the pharmaceutical companies are offering like monetary compensation to, uh, you know, victims. And I said, you know, I, I probably could, but that's not what's going to heal my heart. I think helping people is what, is what like brings life and, uh, and will 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 heal you and absolve you of these burdens that you don't even know you have yeah. until you're triggered and it comes out, you know. And uh, so that's that's really been like why I do it. It's 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 awesome to help people, but really it frees me up from. Um, it just brings healing. It heals my heart. And so anyway, yeah. With um, the pandemic now that I'm not able to go to the halfway house, I'm not able to go to the homeless shelter and just meet people and, and, you know, pray for people and, and whatever else, and just volunteer, um, you know, whatever people need, um, clothes, like food. Um, I think there was one place where it was like a, fo- a homeless shelter, a food bank, clothing lineup and a drug rehab and alcohol rehab, like all in one. And so you could just kind of go there and make a difference, just walk through the door and be like, what do you guys need today? And it was just awesome for me to be able to do that, let alone these people who like, yeah, probably needed some help with stuff. But uh, the pandemic, yeah, it could put the gabosh, as they say, on all that stuff. Mm. And so now uh, my focus is, you know, of course, on my friends and family and the community that I'm with. But as far as reaching out and helping people who are in need, uh, I've actually been able to uh, connect with like individual readers, um, moms of addicts. There's actual addicts. There's guys in prison who have read the book who have reached out to me and just forming these like individual um, sort of connections, these bonds, if you will, has been awesome. And um, I've been able to connect with this kid um, who who spent three years in prison for um, some kind of car accident. I don't know the details, but he read my book in prison and um i i've was able to be his pen pal and talk to him every week throughout the time he was in prison he gets out and i'm able to stay connected with him and just sort of be his friend and just support him as he gets back on his feet you know and and 
integrates back into society because, you know, a lot of addicts, I think over 75% of people in prison are struggling with addiction and it's such a revolving door. And it's just, even the, even just that one guy is just so awesome for me to be able to say like, you know, not, not him. He's able to make it because I'm able to help him. And I'm thankful to be able to even do that. You saved his life. That's one example. You saved his life. And not only that, through your book, I know that you are saving the lives of other people. What made you write the book? And, and, Absolutely. I mean, it, you're making a difference. And I think that's huge. Even if you can't go to the halfway house, you've, you've done a lot. So what, what inspired you to write the book? When did you write it? Uh, what inspired me to write the book? And when? And when? Yeah, it's a funny story. <laughs> um, yeah, so I talk about becoming a Christian and having that be sort of an integral part of my sobriety. And, uh, you know, I'd Believe me, I don't try to force that on the reader or anything like that. I just share my story and um, and, and what my life has been and, and um, really just try to offer insight into like a, a human side of this huge epidemic, epidemic um, and, and the human toll that it's taken. But also to be a success story and to share like maybe this is what can help you too or, you know, um, it's a it's a fun book to read, but also it offers hope to the reader and and stuff that can be helpful but yeah so i become a christian i actually get into christian christian missions and one of the big things to do um when you get involved with something like that is actually to keep a journal and it can be a prayer journal it can just be this is what i'm thinking about this is what i'm feeling about this is what i'm dreaming this is what i want this is the direction i want to head in and you just kind of process where you're at uh spiritually emotionally physically, whatever. And you just sort of keep tabs on yourself in a journal. And some people, I mean, they'll even wake up and be like, this is what I dreamt about last night. It could be anything, right? (laughs) Well, for me, I lived a lifestyle where it was just crazy. I didn't think about anything. I buried it. I was like in survival mode. I did whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted to do it with whoever I wanted to do it with. I didn't think about stuff. I was just wild. And, uh, and so keeping a journal was kind of like forcing me to be intentional with the way I was living each day, um, to be aware of like the direction I'm headed. This is where I've been. This is where I'm going and to kind of stay on the right path. And it was a real challenge because I realized all the stuff that had been buried that I wasn't dealing with was kind of bubbling up to the surface. And I was having to like process my emotions and, Um, sort of figure myself out and get to know myself. Um, I was just completely shut down. And so I'm like almost coming back to life, keeping this journal. And uh, it got to be to the point where I wasn't just, uh, I enjoyed it so much that it like, I wasn't just sort of processing the past week or the next week or, you know, in the now I was journaling about um, every season of my life growing up, coming up through, um some really traumatic stuff you know with whatever it for me it was like abuse with like my parents and stuff and um just just stuff from childhood and I had buried and never thought about and I started to realize you know as I'm coming through the years just keeping my journal and just uncovering all this that I had buried um that my life has been pretty crazy you know like there I've I've kind of read through my journal i filled up a whole book or whatever and i was like you know 
this is nuts. This could be like a Hollywood movie. Like there's not a lot of people who have lived a life like that. And at the time I was only like, what, 23, 24. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I've lived a crazy, crazy life. And I'm like a young guy. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, my wife and I, uh, we got married, we got pregnant and I'm up in Canada legally not able to work because of the visa situation. And her parents just, um, gave us like their summer home which is on a lake up there and we're just kind of up there waiting to have the baby nothing to really do for three or four months and I just remember thinking I'm looking at, I'm looking out over this beautiful lake if you can picture it it's one of those pictures where the you can't tell the the reflection from the actual image off of the horizon mm. over mm. the water so it's yep. so beautiful and the landscape is just so, so pretty. And I just remember thinking, you know, this, this would be just a perfect place to just hunker down in the cabin with a fire going, you know, and just, just maybe write a book or something. This would just be perfect. And I, it hit me. I'm like, I've got all these journals full up of stuff that I think people would probably like to read. It's, you know, it's entertaining, but at the same time, it's, it's got something real to offer the reader yeah. that can, that they can um, sort of put in their backpack and use for themselves um, and, and help them and just, just offer hope to people because um, as crazy and, and wild and tough as my story has been, there is another side to that coin of just beauty and life and overcoming and victory and redemption um, and it's so, it's, it's just so intense, you know? And, and I was like, I, I, you know, I got to do this. I honestly, as soon as I, as soon as I decided that like, yeah, I'm flirting with the idea of maybe writing a book or whatever, one of my supporters and missions actually emails me and she says, Hey, look, there's an author, um, that I know a friend of mine. Um, she knew about my story or whatever, you know, cause personally we were connected and, um, she goes, you know, maybe you should think about writing a book. I can give her your information. <laughs> and, and I actually ended up talking to an author like the next day. And she actually knew a publisher in New York that was looking for someone to write a book about the opioid epidemic. Wow. And I got, I got in touch with them the day after that. So between, between the idea <laughs> of writing a book and three days later, I had basically a contract lined up. It was like, this doesn't just happen out of, it just, nope. you know, it just out of nowhere, all these doors just flew open. And the next thing I know I'm submitting um, 10,000 words at a time and going back and forth with editors. And it just, within six months, I believe I had the book written wow. and submitted and uh, things were just really in motion. And so, um, yeah, it's nothing I did. It's honestly, it was like an act of God. I was like, Oh my, see, do I look like the type of guy who like writes a book, you know, who sits down with his cup of tea and just sips it and just talks all eloquent and everything. Like, no, I'm like a construction worker. You know I, mean? I am not having trouble picturing that Nick. I'm just going to tell okay. you. Okay. Thanks. But yeah. very, very well done you on, on writing it all down and, getting it published. And, you know, I don't believe that, um, I don't believe in coincidence. So right. yeah, I believe that you were absolutely meant to write and publish that book because the people out there need it. Yes. And yes. yeah, and you did. And, and it is available on Amazon for anybody listening. It is called. It's called it? one by one by one, a memoir of love and loss in the shadows of opioid America. 
Great. I mean, Nick, Nicholas Bush. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, Nick, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for, you know, telling your story. Thank you for sharing, you know, just thank you for everything that you've done and that you're going to continue to do to help others. It's, it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to do it. It's been good. I'm really grateful as well. Thanks. Awesome. Okay. I hope you're still listening. That was an amazing interview. I think that um, Nick's story will resonate with people. And I would highly recommend that you get his book to get more details, which is one by one. Um, and it's by Nicholas Bush. There's more to the title than that, but that's the basic name. It is available on Amazon, and I will put a link in the description of this video and also in the description wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, if you or someone you know needs help, please reach out and do it. Don't wait. Um, Nick also said he's available on Facebook, Nicholas Bush. Um, if you look at his picture or if you look at the video, then you know what he looks like because there are possibly maybe other Nicholas Bushes on Facebook. But you can reach out to him, and he is there to help. He is all about helping people, and that's huge. We'll be back again next week. We have another interview scheduled already, so we'll talk again. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.